0: to see you all. My name is Aaron Wardle, and I'm grateful to be able to continue in our Prayers of the Saints series. We kicked off a few weeks ago. with talking about the prayer of St. Francis that was not written by St. Francis, and then we talked about Patrick's breastplate prayer. Last week, Jean prayed and taught us about the Shema, a powerful message on that, and this week, we get to dive into a prayer that was penned in the 1900s by a great theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. And it was written in the aftermath of World War I. And it was a prayer that he would pray at the end of his sermons. He was a pastor, a theologian, a preacher, and a, and a professor. And this prayer found its way after, written in, after the aftermath of World War I. This prayer found its way into the little prayer book that they gave every American GI Heading into World War II. Isn't that kind of amazing? You got your uniform, here's your prayer book. Within that was this prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr. After World War I and World War II, this prayer found its way to a guy named, famously known as. Bill W., and he is one of the founders of AA, and it became a rock bed and a foundation of the Alcoholics Anonymous movement. And to this day, in meetings, it is still, regardless of where people are at in their faith, it is still prayed at the beginning of the meeting and at the end. I believe this powerful prayer is a timely word for us today because it's a prayer that does not ignore the complexities of life. Sometimes, I just need a prayer to be really honest that life is hard and life is complex. But this prayer is relevant for our time, and it's a prayer that calls us back to the source of peace, courage, and wisdom. The serenity prayer. How many of you heard of the serenity prayer? How many of you seen posters of it in places you were surprised to see posters of it? I remember when I was at Ashland University and it was at the swimming pool, they had quotes all around, like no pain, no gain, and all these tough things, and then at the end, (laughs) Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which I think that's fascinating to be in a pool almost drowning and to see that. (laughs) I think it was very fitting to be at the end of the pool, Lord, yes, Lord, please grant me the serenity and the courage to get back there. But what I'd like us to do today is I want to turn our attention and affection to the Lord, and I just want to pray this prayer. I want it to be the prayer for me in this moment and the prayer for you in this moment. So you don't have to bow your heads because it's going to be on the screen. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Now here might be a surprise. That's not the end of the prayer that Reinhold wrote. And there's many different versions of this. But it says living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is. Not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And before I say amen, I do close my eyes, Lord, and I turn from this prayer as I walk in the, in the footsteps of so many saints. And that's who they are, these individuals who were coming out of World War I, these individuals who were in the, in the trenches of World War II, these individuals that are in AA meetings that are just moving forward on this path, following in the footsteps in this prayer. Lord, I ask right now for peace. I ask for courage. I ask for wisdom. Lord, will you meet us here, and I pray that you begin a work just through these words, not through mine that goes so deep into our souls that we are changed forever by the things only you can change. And that begins a movement in our families, in our communities, and in our world. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The older I get, there are two contrasting and challenging realities that are in opposition to each other. The first one is There are more and more areas in and around my life that I do not have the ability or the authority to change. Anybody else feel that way? The older you get, you look around and go, I was really impressed with how much I was able to change as a young man, but now as an older man, I recognize I don't have what it takes to change the things I wanna change. The second reality that seems absolutely opposite is the older I get, I experience the challenge and the reality that there are more and more things that I am responsible to change. Things I can't change, I don't have the ability, but there's more things that I have the responsibility to change and it's in the middle of this that it creates a lot of tension. One of the places that I experience this most tension Is the airport. The airport is the estuary and an estuary is a place where land meets sea and the rivers flow, fresh water flows into the ocean and it seems like two opposites are happening. The airport is the crux of this message because so many times I go to the airport and realize there are absolutely things I cannot change. A few months ago I was in Ohio. I was finishing up a conference that I was with my dad and it was a great time. And it's towards the end of the conference. I have a plane that's leaving that evening and I have my iPad that is connected. It has my lyrics and it's connected to the Wi-Fi, which is connected to my phone. And I'm leading worship and my phone says, your flight's canceled. I'm supposed to be praising the Lord. So I'm like one eye of praise and one eye of panic because I'm supposed to lead worship here in Boulder in 12 hours from that, in 24 hours from that time, and going, oh no. So, I put my, knowing that it's my dad, I put my guitar down, and I walk over to him and said, hey man, my flight's canceled, I gotta go. And he's like, okay, and I kiss him on his half bald head, grab my stuff, and we leave for the airport because I gotta be back to Boulder and lead worship in the morning. I get to Columbus Airport, and there I walk in, and as I get to the gate, they say, okay, we just wanna let you know that all flights out of Columbus have been canceled. Now, instantly in that moment, I was overcome by the spirit of St. Francis. Not true, I was not an instrument of peace, I was just an instrument of anger, and as I'm about to inflict on this individual who has no control of the situation any more than I do, two other pastors from that conference come up beside me. So I instantly become very pious and holy. Yes, yes, I believe my son, my child. So, and in this they say, hey, there's no flights out of Columbus, but we got some in Cleveland. Cleveland is two hours away from Columbus. And these guys and I say, let's go. So we get a ride, we drive from Columbus to Cleveland because I've got to be at Cornerstone in the morning. We get to Cleveland, we go to check in, everything's gonna be amazing, we check in our bags, we go, we have a celebratory beverage, we are eating, the meal is almost done, ding, 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 ding. You gotta be kidding me. It's 10 o'clock, all flights out of Cleveland have now been canceled, (laughs) praise be to the living God. And I realized in that moment I'm not going to get to Cincinnati to get a flight out, which is four hours south. I am done. I am stuck. And I go to the gate, and I'm letting them know, I have to get out of here. You don't understand. I'm super important. I don't know how Cornerstone could possibly praise God without me in the morning. And so I go to the gate, and it's hilarious. They're just like, it ain't going to happen. As if my arguing with them, they were like, Oh, I didn't realize you meant it. You really did want to go home. Hey, reroute that flight from uh, California. We're going to take this cat to Colorado. They're going, no, there is nothing you can do. So I called my folks. I said, I'm Ubering to your house. They said, that's great. You could stay with us for a couple days. We're moving and you can help us. (laughs) Lord, grant me the serenity. To accept those things that I cannot change. I am 46, seven years old, almost there. My back does not feel well. Moving, and it was the worst part of the move where it's like the end, where it's like knickknack, paddywhack, and you're like, oh, please, for the love of God, just give me a refrigerator to get out of here, not all the. But I had to stay for three days. There's nothing that I could do. I am stuck in this situation, change. So I called Dan that night and I'm like, Dan, how do you feel like leading worship tomorrow? Scratch that, I'm not making it. Will you lead worship tomorrow? And it was great, had a great service. They were wondering why they even had me on staff from that point on. But in the middle of this, I share this funny example because can't you feel the tension when you go roadblock? I can't do anything about this. And sometimes it's something as humorous and benign as an airport flight. Then you have another situation, another trip to the airport, taking my daughter. She's heading back to college. We go there when she's back from spring break. As we're heading to the airport, I am still experiencing tremors as soon as we get close to an airport of post-traumatic stress and ding, ding, phone dings. I'm going, oh, for the love of the living Lord, we're going by train from now on. It says her flight's canceled. She has to get to her class in the morning because it's imperative because she needs to be there. She has to get a ride, yada, yada, yada. And I can just feel the anxiety and the tension in my 19-year-old go through the roof. Grace is a very specific person. She says what she does and she does what she says and there is no flexibility in that. Her socks are organized. She just lives this very organized, ordered life. Spontaneity is not her jam. I can feel the tension and so we go to the airport and I just tell my wife, you know what, this sounds exactly like what happened to me. But let's see if it's different. And so we pull up to the departures, we grab Grace's bag, we run in, we don't go to a computer, we go to a person, we begin to have a conversation. Turns out there's another flight that's gonna be able to go. She hustles through security, she gets on the plane, she lands, praise God. Same location. Same situation, one that we had to accept we couldn't change and one we had to have courage to act. And I believe oftentimes that we look at these type of things and we say, God puts us in these situations to teach us, but I believe it's a gift because God creates and allows these situations and life forms these situations that are like estuaries, Phenomenal talk by Gary Stanley, resident sage, scholar, smile and hug giver. He's been here for a long time, and he gave this amazing talk at our staff retreat on liminal space and estuaries. But basically, an estuary is this place where the rivers from land, freshwater rivers from land, enter into the salt waters of the sea. But one of the things that's amazing about an estuary, it is a vibrant ecosystem where there's tons of growth and there's tons of life. And I believe for us that in the tension of these things that we can't change and these things that we are to change is a beautiful opportunity for growth. How many of you today resonate somewhat with these funny stories, but with the tension that there are things in your life you can't change? Sometimes we don't want to admit it because it exposes our limitations. And how many of you today look to say, you know what? At the same time, the waters of the things that I can't change are flowing into the places and the waters of the things that I can change and I need to change. And one of the most challenging things is I got to know which one am I dealing with. Isn't that the most tension I just want to know, is this the one I'm supposed to keep trying to get on the plane? Or is this the one I'm just to get an Uber home? Could you tell me which one it is, Lord? And that's the instance of Niebuhr's prayer that we've been praying for almost a century. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to spend the rest of our time in just that first section, because it is so profound and then I just want to touch once again on the other part. And if you'll go to that phone number, and I'm going to go to it later, and you, uh, you can text in serenity, and it's going to give you the whole prayer, let's make this a mantra of our lives. Because there is something so profound about it that as we are going through these conflicting and challenging times in our lives, we press into the source of serenity, of courage, of courage. And of wisdom. So as we dive in, one of the things that I want to point out in this is that with this prayer that echoes Scripture, that lines up with Scripture, and once again, like all of our other prayers, genes is actually Scripture, the other ones, they echo Scripture. You could mistake this. Google mistakes this all the time. You type in serenity prayer, it says the Bible says. It doesn't say. It's a prayer that's written by someone else. But the reason is It echoes the teachings of Jesus. It echoes the Psalms of David. It echoes the writings of Paul and of Peter and of John. It's just reducing down the essence of Scripture. But we see in this place that the beginning of this prayer, as we put it back on there, it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The one thing that I just wanna look at for two seconds is we must recognize the source of serenity, the source of courage and the source of wisdom. Because the prayer is not talking at all that we are the source of those things. There is no way for me to drum up serenity which is peace or calmness or tranquility. There is no way to me to live with a reservoir of courage, and there's no way for me to be the reservoir and the source of wisdom. The first thing we do in this prayer that leads us to, which is just echoing scripture, is that we surrender to the source that God is the reservoir and the resource of all these things. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah, let's do that again. God is the source of serenity of courage and of wisdom it's not me let me tell you another thing it's not it's not you you cannot be the source of those things in my life because you have limitations another thing that can't be the source are circumstances how many times in life have I, am i worried and anxious instead of peaceful afraid instead of courageous, and just confused instead of wise because I'm looking for circumstances to create this feeling or sense in me. If my feelings, if my circumstances show it, I experience it. No. This prayer flips it on its end and says, God is the source of that regardless of how you feel, how others act in circumstances. The last thing is your your expected outcomes can't be the source. God is the source of these things. And how do I know it? Because Jesus says it. And the Old Testament writes about it. Three hinge-pin verses on this. John 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. After he tells them, hey, it's going to get real bad. And you're going to scatter and betray me. But don't worry. He says this. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this. What Jesus is doing is, hey, the circumstances around you, yeah, they're tough. Those circumstances aren't going to make peaceful. The people around you, not going to create peace. You're not going to have what it takes. But guess what? I am gifting you peace receive it because it's not gonna change. This is about to happen. I am the source of peace. When we transfer that to ourselves, to others, to circumstances and outcomes, we will not experience peace. We will experience anxiety, frustration. The second thing we see is as the source in Joshua 1, 9. The Lord speaks to Joshua. And he's in this estuary moment because the land and the fresh water of what Moses did is colliding into a new season of something that is yet to come. And he's standing there, and the Lord says this to him as he enters into this new place. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in this moment, he's reminding Joshua as he's heading into a tough situation, hey, it's time to act, and here's your source of strength. I'll be with you. Courage doesn't just come from picking ourselves up from our bootstraps and saying, I can do this, resting on our intellect, resting on the resources of others, resting in the fact that good things happen to good people, it goes. Courage is in the place of, Lord, I tap into your strength. I tap into your promises. And I have confidence to move forward because of who you are, not what I see in front of me and who I am. The next thing we see that backs up this with just these three verses is in the James chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach. And it will be given to him again. As this prayer says, Lord, grant me serenity, grant me uh, courage, grant me wisdom. James, who's writing to a church that's got a whole lot of things going on, and there's things they have to accept, and there's things that they have to act upon, and James is looking at him and says, listen, if you need wisdom, ask the source of wisdom, which is God, and you'll get it. I love that, and I love that this prayer leads us not to just kind of a... um, Self-help and personal acts, but it just comes to the place to say, "Uh, Lord, I can't do anything about this without you. You are the source that I need to face this conflict between the things I can't change and the things I can't change. And so I tap into your reservoir. I dive into the estuary that is your reservoir, and I will drink deeply, and I will swim in that, that I may have serenity that I may experience your serenity, that I may experience your courage, and I may experience your wisdom. So here's what I like to do. I've been throwing this word serenity around, and I love words that we don't use every day. What does serenity mean? Some of you who you've already known this, I have to look things up in the dictionary. But what I wanna do is I wanna make sure we're on the same page with a definition because words in our culture can drift in meaning and I, my wife and I will have this situation of, like, she'll look at me and says, in the words of Princess Bride, I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> but what is serenity? The dictionary definition says the state of being calm, peaceful, untroubled. The state, not the act, the state of being calm. Peaceful, untroubled. In Greek, the word that Jesus uses it means rest and quietness. Again, I want to read that text as we go into this section. John sixteen thirty two through thirty three. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, oh, there should be in Greek like a ho. Oh, there will be tribulation. There will be trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what I believe that Jesus is saying to us today, hey, you can't change it. There's going to be troubles in your life. But take heart. Have serenity. Be at peace, untroubled, and calm. Because I've overcome the world. As we look at this idea, I just want to in a little deeper because I think that this prayer offers an invitation for us. And it isn't just one to just say these words, but I believe that there's an invitation for us to act and position our lives in such a way so that we can experience the serenity of God in the situations that we can't change. And the first thing that I see in this, for us to find serenity when we are faced with situations where we're in relationships with people that refuse to change, When we were in situations, like, this would be weird, but if we are in a building project, imagine in, like, in Boulder, and the county won't give you certain permits, and and the cost of lumber, and things, you know, you have a worldwide pandemic, and it's hard to get workers, and the project just gets delayed further. I mean, this would be weird, wouldn't it? It would be super awkward if, like, that happened, and you're like, hey, we're going to be in at Christmas of 2024, (laughs) Just kidding, that's not reality. But one of the things that we've experienced is we can't do a darn thing to make this happen faster. There are times we just have to sit and go, Lord, I've gotta meet you in the midst of this. And the first thing we do to experience the peace of God is we have to embrace our limitations. I had a friend, I've shared this before, and uh, it was early, early one, first years as a pastor, and I invited him to do a testimony in the service, and I'd given him like, I'm like, you got, listen, you got 15 minutes, you know, really just be able to share your heart. And he got up, and he said his name, and he said, there are two things that I know. There is a God, and I am not him. And he sat down. And I had to finger pick behind him like a good worship leader and just say yes, as I wanted to kill him. But the beauty of this is my friend came to the end of his rope and realized his limitations. There is a God, and we're not him. You are limited in your abilities. When we were young, we were constantly told, you can do anything you want. As Brian has said, I don't want to disappoint you. You can't do anything you want. My MBA career is not going to happen, friends. But we come to this place of we embrace our limitations to say, I can't do this. I can't change this. And that is the first place to say, I can't. And so, Lord, I turn to you. And I love the offering that God gives us. Because in accepting defeat, that we can't do anything about it, we can't change it. Guess what God offers us? Peace, not a bad trade-off. It's not a bad trade-off to go, oh my word. So when I am in this place of saying, I can't do anything about it, and I turn to you to say, you are the only one who can do something about it, the gift is not frustration, but the gift is the fact that he gives peace to say, rest, you've reached the end of your abilities. Now trust mine. And instead of it being something where it's a failure, it's an absolute gift that we experience peace. So we embrace our limitations. The next thing that we do when we are finding serenity as we pray this is we activate the peace of God with surrender. Again, we activate the peace of God. The peace of God is his. It is a state of being. He offers it to us. How do we accept that? We say, I can't and thank you, I can't, and thank you. So we activated in our lives through an action of surrender, being able to say, Lord, I release this to you. In Psalms, where it talks about be still and know that I am God, the idea of being still is to basically like let your arms down, to release. And so in this moment, you look at places in your life to say, it feels like I've been bashing my head in, trying to change this and I can't. Lord, I embrace the fact that I can't. And I will activate your peace instead of my worry by surrendering to you. The next thing we do, and I believe this is important, is we mourn the loss. God is all right as we look to the scriptures. He's okay with us throwing a fit. Amazing individuals throughout scripture, the saints for centuries, they throw royal tantrums. There's a whole book, it's called Lamentations. What does it mean in, in Hebrew? Throw a fit. Whine, cry, we mourn. We embrace our limitations. We activate the peace of God through surrender and one of the actions is we go, God, this hurts and I'm sad. I'm frustrated that I can't change this. Even in the silly illustration about the airport, I had to mourn it. And I know that sounds like, whoa, you are way too in touch with your emotions. True. But the fact of going, I'm not going to get home. I want to get home. I want to see my family. I want to lead worship. I don't want to move my parents. But we mourn. We mourn the relationship that goes what i thought this was be would be will never be that one stings doesn't it we mourn the fact that we look at our career and we say what i thought i was going to be will never be We mourn the fact that we say these addictions that I stepped into or that I have been handed or that I am susceptible, I never wanted them, but they are. We mourn the fact of their presence in our lives. And we get sad. And we meet God in the midst of it. Why? Because that's activating the peace through surrender and activating the peace and opening up. As we mourn, we open ourselves up. The space that the mourning had is released, and what is replaced is, guess what? Serenity and peace. The last thing that we do is we have to absolutely trust that God will meet us in our relinquishment. The gift is not the outcome. The gift is the fact that God meets us in every single situation, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One of the most misinterpreted texts because usually he thinks like, God will make all things good. No, he works for good in us. And we trust that God is doing something even in the situations we cannot change because he's transforming us to experience his beautiful, perfect, mysterious peace that is a state of calm. This is free, but I've been trading the word calm for peace because sometimes peace seems like it's become too lofty but when I think about Lord give me your calm there's something about that that was free we're gonna move on the next thing we see as we dive in is what is this word courage because courage oftentimes is to define to like to move forward in strength even when you're afraid yes but I think it's needs more than that We see one definition is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. In the Hebrew for this passage in Joshua, it talks about to be determined, to make oneself alert, strengthen oneself, confirm oneself, persist. And so with courage, it isn't just saying, I'm scared, I'm still doing it. What it is, is it's resolute to say, I'm fixing my mind, my heart, my body, my whole being on the fact that I'm moving forward regardless of how I feel and regardless of the situation because the Lord has commanded it and the Lord has resourced it. He gives us his strength. We're drafting off him. We're fueled by him to enter into situations where he says, thumbs up. This is something you can change. You not only have the opportunity to change it, but you have the responsibility to change it. That's the one that gets me as I, as I grow older and older and older. There are more areas I have the responsibility to change. So the first thing we do is we press into that. But again, the first thing we do, how do we begin this? As the main text of Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How do we fuel courage in our life? This is going to surprise you. First thing we do is embrace our limitations. To say, I don't have what it takes. But God, I know you have what it takes. I don't have the resources But I know you have the resources. And I also know, as we go into the next one, you're saying that change needs to happen and we're heading into the land. We're moving forward. This is something that has to change. The first thing we do is I have to look to you to say you are my strength and my shield. And I brace my limitations to say, I may have a degree of intellect and ability, but it is not enough to impact the change that you that needs to happen. And so, Lord, I press into your infinite in intellect and strength and ability. And so the first thing we do is we embrace change. The next thing we do is we activate the strength of God through effort. Through effort. One of the things that I see in my life, there's times like, Lord, give me the strength to do this. And then I don't do anything. In my life, and I don't know if this is like it in yours, the way he shows that he's given the strength is stepping out and activating it. Has anyone experienced that? To say, I don't know if he's done it until I step into the situation and go, oh my gosh, you've resourced me to do this. But it didn't happen until I stepped in. I love the parallel in this passage because when God tells Israel to cross over to the Jordan River, there, uh, cross over into the promised land, the Jordan River is at flood stage. And he says, all right, here's how it's going to roll. Send the priest. And the second the priest's foot hits the water, the water will split. That is oftentimes what it feels like to have the strength of God in the moments you need it. You, it isn't until the 11th hour to your foot touches the water and you go, there it is. Thank you, Lord. But we activate that through effort. We have to try. And it's terrifying. And it's risky. But we have to show effort. That is how the strength of God, the courage of God, is activated in our lives, is through effort. There are times to be still and know. And then there's times to move forward across the Jordan. The next thing we see, <laughs> prepare for perseverance. Because anything in life worth changing it needs to be changed, is gonna take effort and time. We see it throughout all of scriptures from, genera- from Genesis to Revelation. It's gonna take time and it's gonna take perseverance. 40 years leading up to the moment that the priest's hit feet, feet hit the water of the Jordan River, it's gonna take perseverance. And finally, we have to trust that God will give us what we need and he will make a way. So how do we activate courage? We embrace our limitations. We activate the strength of God with effort. We prepare for pers- with perseverance, and we trust that God will make a way. Wisdom. and I promise I'm landing this plane. Wisdom, what is it? Merriam-Webster defines wisdom as the quality or the state of being wise. Thank you so much. And then it goes on to say, knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, discernment, or insight. But in the scriptures, the Greek word Sophia, which is the word for wisdom that James is using, what it means is the knowledge and the practice necessary for God, godly and upright living. As we are following God as we are invited into relationship with the Father through Jesus, as we're following in his footsteps, one of the things is our definition of wisdom begins to change. It isn't just knowledge or worldly wisdom, but what it is, it is the will, the knowledge of the will and the ways of God and how we're to live that out. See that subtle change? So wisdom is to go, Lord, I want to know your ways and your will. And so we enter into this and we see, that how do we foster wisdom in our lives as we are living in this estuary of things that we can't change and things that we can change, and oftentimes the most tension and the most anxiety and the most frustration comes in the fact of going, I don't know what I'm dealing with. Which one is this? Do I keep persevering? And this is one of those stories that'll be on Netflix where it's a documentary about my life that 40 years pursuing something finally broke. Or is this a situation to say, Aaron, give it up, hang it up, and receive my peace? The place that we find the answer for this is in the wisdom of God. The first thing we do to foster wisdom, guess what it is? We embrace our limitations. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the information. And we don't have all the ability to do what needs to happen, to have wisdom. And so the first thing we say is, Lord, I'm surrendering to say, I want your wisdom, not just a good decision. Because oftentimes in life, those two things that come, they both look good. They both look like we're to step into. But the first thing we do to foster wisdom is we embrace our limitations. The next thing we do is we activate the wisdom of God through listening to his word and to his spirit. If there's only one reason, and this is terrible, to be in the scriptures constantly, it shows us the wisdom of God and how we're to live our lives. And it begins a resource of saying, when I'm faced with situations that I can't change or I can change, when we have the resource of knowing the word and the will of God, we begin to look at it and goes, wow, it's a lot clearer because I see what you've said and what you've done in the past. And so we activate the wisdom of God by knowing his word. The second thing we do is we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. For those who step into a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of God dwells within you, and that spirit is a spirit of wisdom. It's in you. And we begin to listen to that and say, Lord... I want to activate that through listening to your word and listening to your spirit. Two more things. For us to foster wisdom in our life as we pray this prayer, we have to seek wise counsel. We seek people who love God, show, an em- show the ability to make good godly decisions, and love us, and so we seek wise counsel. Proverbs twenty eighteen says, Plans are established by counsel, but wise guidance wages war. Now, I'm not encouraging you to wage war, but what I am encouraging you is to fight your battles. Step into those things that you are to face, and as, before you do that, seek wise counsel. So for us, to foster wisdom in our lives, the first thing we do is we embrace our limitations. We activate wisdom. We activate wisdom of God through listening to his spirit. We seek wise counsel, and the final thing, just like everyone else, every one of these other ones, we have to trust that God will give it. James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, because the Lord gives generously wisdom. I've given you a lot here. This prayer is amazing. This prayer is transforming my life, and the Lord is using it just like the other prayers. Because we are living in times where there are many, 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 many things we can't change. We're also living in times there are many, 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 many things we can change. And I believe it is time for us to step into the places we follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to say, Lord, give me the wisdom of which one we're doing here. And how are we to approach this? Because of time, I'm not going to go into a lot of the history of Reinhold Niebuhr, but all I have to say is he is an incredibly complex man that is absolutely brilliant, that was following in the footsteps of Jesus, that was the State Department would bring him in to form foreign policy as he was also on the FBI watch list. Now that's an interesting life. As he was to be a person who lived out the gospel and brought about social change. And to see that this prayer became the fabric of a powerful movement of Alcoholics Anonymous to give hope to people that felt helpless because there's a huge difference from being helpless to being hopeless. And we find the difference in this prayer. So here's what I wanna do as we close. Band, you can start making your way, but I'm not not gonna have you play yet because the stage is way too small. As I said before, you can uh, text the number that's on the screen, and our creative arts director and young adult pastor Tim Caressel has created a really great prayer book, and there's just a ways to just pray this through the week and to make it your own prayer and to walk this path that so many have walked. But what I want to do is I want to press into the moment because I believe the Lord wants to do something here, because he always wants to do something. And we want to see what that is. But I invite the Holy Spirit, and you just to take a posture of prayer. Holy Spirit, you are in this place. Lord, I pray that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this moment. That you open our ears, our eyes, our minds, our spirits, our hearts, our bodies. I pray against the distractions of the enemy and the distractions of of other things in this moment. What I want to do is ask, would you? Ask the Lord to bring a situation or a circumstance or a relationship in your life where you are not sure whether you're to accept that you can't change it or you're to act for change. Would you ask the Lord to do that? When you get there, if you mind just giving like a little nod. I promise we won't make this a long time. I know you've been listening for a while, but I want you to meet the Lord in this. Just give a little nod to say, yeah, I got this situation that's going on. And now simply, would you just say, God, will you give me wisdom Will you speak your heart to him and just ask him for that? And now I invite you as you continue, just... I do this all the time with my hands. I'm sorry. Would you take your right hand and open it up and just let that represent accept? Would you open up your left hand and let that represent act? Now would you ask the Lord about this situation? hold it out in front of them and say, Lord, is this just something I have to accept? That this, as I accept it, will be a pathway to peace. Or Lord, is this a situation where I need to courageously act and you're gonna do all you wanna do? Not just listen, act, or accept. bless you in the name of Jesus that you may may begin to get a sense of which way this is to go. And as you do, what I'm going to ask you to do is just hold that. Whichever hand it's in, hold that. This is accept. This is act. And I just want you to hold it. Whichever one it is. you get a sense of what he is saying which way to go hold that and now in his precious name i push a holy pause and this is what i want you to do and you can open your eyes we're still praying this prayer continues but there's a next step that you go do this week as you're holding that to say, Lord, I sense that in this situation, you're saying I'm to accept it. I want you to hold that in your hand and then ask him, Lord, will you reveal in your scripture, back it up? So we're not just a feeling of going, you know, I was in church and I felt it this way. That's good, that's awesome. But what we wanna do is we wanna go to the text, the scripture, the word of God, and we're gonna back that up. And then the next thing you're gonna do is you're gonna seek wise counsel to confirm what has been backed up and what has been spoken. Does that make sense? You have an assignment this week, but the assignment is one that I pray leads you into the serenity and the courage and wisdom of God, and I bless you with those things that you may know it's a win-win, friends. It's win-win. Accept leads to peace. Act leads to courage. Both lead to God. It's a win-win and I bless you with that in his precious name and thank you for staying with me on this journey and may this prayer today be but the beginning of something that transforms our lives as we live in this estuary of a paradox, amen.